This morning, uh, the second Advent service, we're continuing in the art of neighboring. And uh, I'll share with you, I, I didn't know what to think of it when we chose this theme, the art of neighboring, because normally Advent, I think of hope and joy and peace and love and doing that kind of series based on that and, and looking at scriptures that fit for Christmas time and uh, the coming of Jesus. But I got to tell you, I, I've um, realized that this is actually a really good series. Because if we think about what Jesus left his disciples with, you may recall in Matthew 28, this was just before the ascension. And he met with the disciples and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Now go therefore and make disciples of all peoples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Those are some pretty strong words for the followers of Jesus, which you and I are, to make disciples and what does that look like? So actually I think the art of neighboring is very fitting this time of year. Although it's difficult because of the pandemic. How many of you normally, last night, my wife and I would have hosted our neighborhood, all those that wanted to come for a Christmas gathering, a holiday gathering. And, uh, and I mean all our neighbors. And we had uh, quite, quite a group that would come. So last night was the first night. We've not been able to do that. And um, I'll share with you, my wife and I mourn that because we had some pretty good food. Not that it's about food. Actually had a little good wine too. Um, but the most important part of it is we had communion with our neighbors. We were together with them and, and some of them are not believers. And so when we gather together and they come into our home, they see things that maybe they wouldn't see in their house, like faith, like hope, like prayer changes things, like things that maybe many of you have in your homes right now. But we invited them into our home. We, we took them in and there's something about when you invite someone into your home. It's, it's a way of showing acceptance to them which is why in the, in the Gospels, why Jesus most often is talked about either going to a home, eating, or leaving. Um, there's something about being together. So, this morning I want to talk about what does it look like to make intentional relationships. And uh, I've entitled the message, The Great Diversion the greatest diversion, and I think it is in our life, and that's busyness. I, I see busyness uh, in so many ways in people's lives, and including my own. So I want you to know I'm, I'm part of the choir that I'm preaching to. Busyness 
interferes with much in our lives. And I think it makes it even more difficult to be intentional with our neighbors when we're so busy. So I'm reminded as we look at Scripture today, what does it look like? And Jesus is a great example for us to look to because he didn't drive around in a fast car. He didn't even have a chariot. Actually, he traveled about three miles an hour. So think about it. What does it look like to slow down a little bit, be a, a little bit more intentional in our life? And I'm going to give you a way, a foundation this morning in which to start that, which to make that happen, be more likely in your life. Last week, Pastor Chris shared that parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And you know how it started, the expert in the law. He had asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the very fact that he began with those words, I was waiting for Jesus to say, what do you mean? It's not about you. It's about me. You don't do anything. It's God who chose you. But he didn't go there. But he went to another place, and he used the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, first of all, you learned last week, those of you who saw this, either online or, yeah, we were all online, was that the fact is, in that culture, there would not be such a thing as a good Samaritan, would there? You see, in that culture, a Samaritan was despised. So now Jesus uses this parable, and then he compares it to two people held in high esteem in the church, a, a priest and a Levite. So now you're comparing, talk about opposite spectrums. We could go a lot of different ways in that, in that thinking, but the fact is, it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor to the man who had been beaten and robbed. In fact, when, when uh, Jesus then said to the expert in the law, who was the neighbor to this man? He couldn't even respond by saying Samaritan, could he? He said, well, that was the one who showed mercy. So the fact is, we wonder why the priest and the Levi didn't, didn't stop. There's a, a, maybe a good cultural reason for that, and that is that had they stopped and that man was noted to be half dead, the fact is if they touched him, they would have to go to the temple and go through quite a rigmarole to be cleansed and, and made ceremonial clean uh, by the priest in the temple. But I think maybe it's even more simple. I think they were busy. I think they had things to do, and they didn't want to be bothered. They didn't want anything to interfere. Maybe they had some busy things to do at the synagogue or church where they were headed, and they didn't want to be bothered. They were busy. So, when we think about busyness, what do you think about? How busy are you? Now, the pandemic has definitely put some brakes on some things, but quite frankly, not all. And busyness is still a place where many of us function and how we function. So this morning, we're going to look at another scripture, the scripture that Luke writes that immediately follows 
the Good Samaritan. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as again we open your word, we pray that this living word will speak to us this morning. So may your word be my rule, your spirit my teacher, and the glory of Christ my ultimate concern. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to, you can see the words on the screen and listen to them. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha invited him into her home. She had a sister, her name was Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, <clears throat> listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister is, has left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus' infamous response, Martha, oh, Martha, why do you fret? He answered, well, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God. So Luke, now in this chapter 10 and starting with verse 38, he starts sharing another story about Jesus' encounter. Now to the invitation to the home of Martha and her sister Mary. Something you should know about Luke's gospel. First of all, you should know about Luke, the writer of Acts as well, is he's a Gentile. He's not of Jewish descent. Luke's a physician. He pays attention to details. There's something else you should know about this Gentile writer, is Luke is known often for recording encounters that Jesus had with those that were more on the margins maybe culturally not seem quite as equal. An example of that would be children. Luke makes a number of accounts of Jesus' interaction with children, but also with women. Women in that culture were not looked at the same way as we look at women today. But Jesus really changed that. There was a paradigm. Jesus loved ministering and talking to women as well. Tax collectors, sinners, you name it. Luke, in many ways, is kind of like you and I. We're Gentiles. I think most of us here are. But let's venture into the house. I want you to take a walk with me into the house of Martha and Mary. What's happening? Well, I think the first thing you're going to notice is you're going to smell the bread baking. Can you smell it? Smells good, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit for us, some of us, to think about Thanksgiving meal. What it's like when you walk in the door and all of a sudden you smell, oh, the turkey's getting done. But you can smell the bread baking. 
And then Martha was busy. It was most likely that she was preparing lentils and salted fish. Salted fish was common in that time. And she probably was making a platter. Oh, that was a beautiful platter. It probably had fresh onions and cucumbers alongside of melon and figs and olives, pomegranates and nuts. Can you just picture that plate? Are you getting hungry like I am right now? Fact is, those were all staples. Those were kinds of things that they would have eaten in that time. So all this activity was going on, and where was Mary? Oh, there she was. Who knows? Maybe Mary was never one to want to really help in the kitchen. I don't know. But she was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Martha yet was distracted by all the preparations. After all, she had invited Jesus to dine with them, and she was probably very frustrated. So she came to Jesus and pleaded, uh, don't you care that my sisters left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, you would have thought Jesus might have said, you know what, Mary, get up. Why don't you go help Martha? You know, I'm here and, uh, you know, I, I think you could help put some of this food together for me too and the disciples. But, but Jesus didn't do that, did he? He said, uh, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing's needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. End of story. It's where it ends, right there. Luke says no more. I think there's something right there for you and I, and that is this end of story is the beginning of our story. What does it look like for you and for me? So this morning, I want us to look at the greatest diversion. And as I said, I think it's busyness. Recently, I was walking downtown Holland, and I was just looking around. And I can't tell you how many people I saw, the vast majority, had their had their faces buried in a smartphone as they were walking, which is amazing. I'm glad that the sidewalks are pretty flat and even. But the fact is, most of the individuals were looking at smartphones and not attentive to anything around them. Some time ago, it was PC, I'll say pre-COVID, I was walking into a restaurant one noon, and there was a couple sitting at a, a booth you know, and they looked like they were having maybe kind of a romantic lunch. I didn't know. But I happened to look, and both of them were buried in their smartphones. Well, I stopped. I did something that some people say, why would you do that? Well, I don't know. I felt like it was a good thing. So I, I looked at them and stopped. And I said, hey, hey, you two, you're having lunch together. You don't need to text each other. Why don't you just talk to each other? Well, I was waiting for the guy to take his fist and throw it at me, but they both smiled, fortunately. And I, I don't know, maybe I hit a little nerve. Maybe I hit a big nerve, I don't, I don't know. But the fact is, I believe one of the, the greatest tactics, tactics that the devil 
and his demonic forces use today is to keep us busy. You see, when, when that happens, we no longer can be attentive to the things around us. We're not looking to make intentional relational developments with people, like our neighbors. Fact is, many of us, maybe all we know about our neighbors is their name and the fact that their garage door goes up and down, kind of like ours. Maybe that's all you know about them. You don't know what their struggles are. You don't maybe even know what they do and what their life, what they have in their life to deal with. The fact is, busyness distracts us from relationships. iPads and smartphones and and now even watches. How many of you have these watches that talk to you? You don't want to admit it, do you? My, my dear daughter-in-law, she may be watching, Amanda. She said, Dad, would you like one of those smart watches or whatever they call those watches for Christmas? And I said, no. I've got enough people who tell me what to do. I don't need to see it on my wrist and hear, hear it. But they are good. They're okay. I'm not totally dissing you. Those of you who have it, have them. But relationships, relationships with our neighbors. What does it mean when Jesus said, go and make disciples? We need to know more about our neighbors. We need to be intentional. But there's something about this scripture that uh, tells us a little bit more. And in a moment, I'm going to get to that. But speaking of busyness, I want to just bring up something. Some of you may not like it that I say this, but the fact is, even in our households, we have children, I see it with many children, who are involved in traveling sports teams. Okay. Now, is it for the child or is it for the parent? I, I really don't know that answer. But I can tell you this. Most of these children are never going to make it to the NFL, the NBA, or the NHL. I mean, uh, it's not going to make a big difference. And there's something about distractions that take families away from church, families away from time to worship together. And I believe that oftentimes is a very significant diversion in life and affects quite frankly, us spiritually, doesn't it? So think about it. There's a book that was published in 2013. It was written by a pastor, theologian, good man. His name's Kevin DeYoung. He wrote Crazy, Business, Crazy Busy. It's selling, it's, it's his most frequently purchased book, over 300,000 copies. Just a little book. One of the things he notes is that busyness is like sin. Kill it, or it'll kill you. The reality is busyness feeds oftentimes a constant chaos in our life. It's far from what God intends. So when we think of the art of being a neighbor, the first thing we really have to think about is balance in our lives, in margins. Creating margins that will allow intentionality. It's, I believe it's, and I said this a few weeks ago in a little different message, but I don't believe it's about random acts of kindness. I believe it's intentional. And when you come to that place of understanding what it means to be intentional, to having a heart that is intentional, 
that will make all the difference. There's a couple lies that we often have in our minds that we'll, we'll think of and maybe respond to. The first lie is this. Things will settle down someday. How many of you feel that way? Things will settle down someday. I think I can hear the words of the song by Harry Chapin. Maybe you can too. Those of us who are maybe a little older can remember the cats in the cradle, the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. Sad thing about that song is it never really happens, does it? Or how about the lie number two? This is, everybody lives like this. Oh, really? Well, that gives me comfort. The fact is, our culture praises busyness, constantly being on the go. So how in the world will we ever give time to the family next door or across the street? I think maybe what's needed is a checkup from the neck up. And when we have that, a checkup from the neck up, we'll have a head change that then moves to a heart that changes, a heart change. You know, one of the things we've done at Community Church over a number of months this past year is the 500 acts of doing things and reaching out to, to neighbors, to those around us. Been some beautiful things that happened. I think one thing that I was able to be involved in a little bit was the time where Tom Wenzel and some of his friends, he, he actually uh, roasted a couple pigs and over a number of times we made and brought pork sandwiches, pulled pork sandwiches to the bridge ministry and handed them out. This was early on in the time of COVID. Hundreds of pulled pork sandwiches went to people in our community. By the way, they were pretty good. You know, that's one of the benefits you have of volunteering. You get to eat some of the spoils. Or recently I was talking to one of our senior widows and she shared with me, and she certainly did this in humility, but she made a big ham for the Parkview home here in Zealand for Thanksgiving donated that. So there's a lot of things we can do. But today, really, what we need to think about is relationships. How do we create? How do we make relationships? The fact is, most people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. I'll share something with you. Most people really could care less about my theology. You know that? They could care less about what I do or don't do, whether on Sunday or any other time. What they care about is how I care about them. You see, there is something about acceptance preceding obedience. There's something about when you can show love to a neighbor, to a friend, someone who so desperately needs it. I was reminded this week I had something happen that was rather interesting. You don't mind, I'll share it with you. Is that okay? Well, a very dear friend of mine wanted me to meet someone he knew. And this person was very versed, and I'll say this biblically, 
In fact, I thought I was versed pretty well. I felt like I, I was just, well, at the end of two hours, my head was spinning. And I was troubled. I went home later and I thought, why, why am I troubled? Why did this bother me? Is it because I didn't have that knowledge? I don't think so. What came to me, and actually it came to me as I was preparing for this message today, because I like to put messages in a crock pot, let them simmer. And then when they're just about all okay, I put it on warm, let it go. Is that how you use a crock pot? We're a crock pot family. But the fact is what I thought about with this interaction was the fact that this man never asked anything about me. Never asked about, tell me about your journey of faith. How did, how did you get where you are today? Have you been in the ministry long? What does that look like? Never was there anything about that. And not that it's all about me, but there was no relationship that was even tried to be made before this whole blah came out for two hours. So my trouble made me realize how important it is that when we show love to our neighbor, again, it's not about theology. It's not about telling someone why they should believe what you believe. It's about life. And what does that look like? You know, I often will say when someone says, would so-and-so be welcome at community? I said there would be no one that should not be welcomed to community. I had someone say to me, if I came in, the bricks might fall off the side of the building inside. I said, well, I'll give you a little hint. They didn't fall off when I walked in. I don't think they'll fall off when you walked in. So how do, we, how do we get and develop these relationships that are intentional? Now I want to give you what I believe to, is the heart of this text. You see, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. That in and of itself was amazing. She was a woman, and to sit at the feet of a rabbi would never have been accepted. But Jesus, look at his acceptance to her. The fact is, she could sit at his feet. I want us to think about, what do you, what do you think they talked about? Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. What do you think that conversation looked like? I don't know. Luke didn't record it. But I think if he could... It might have gone something like this. Mary, tell me about you. Tell me about what you do. Tell me about your life. Tell me, is it, do you have any concerns? Is there anything I can answer for you? You see, Mary knew about Jesus. And so she was sitting looking to learn from the rabbi. And I believe that relationships are the most important thing for us to look at this account. And the fact is, when we start here as a foundation, when you and I sit at the feet of the rabbi Jesus, 
it will change our lives. I believe that's the heart of what Luke's sharing with us in this gospel message. So, a heart change, it makes a difference. It's why I can tell you, in the last few years, I've had four neighbors that have asked me to do the funerals of a parent or husband. None of these, except one, were in a church. These were neighbors that I loved. And it was their desire, whether it was Rick's mom, or whether it was Shirley's husband, or, or Lori's husband, or Pam's mom. That's what it means to be a neighbor. Not that you all have to do funerals for your neighbors, <laughs> but just walk with me. What it meant was I had developed relationships with people that they felt comfortable. They saw who Greg was, and they should see who Bree is. And I know, Bree, you're like that as well, when people are comfortable to talk with you. So, that, my friends, is how you begin to intentionally impact your neighbors in their lives. And so you know, I'll give you a good example. It didn't just happen with Mary. It happened with the disciples one day. Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all matters of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets that went before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under men's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. After all, which one of you will light a candle and put it under a basket? But instead, you put it on a lampstand, so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine so others may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. My friends, that's what it means to sit 
at the feet of the rabbi Jesus. And when you sit there, and when you let his word come into you, as you take time to be in God's word, his word will change your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be intentional to your neighbors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your living and active word. And Lord, I pray and we all pray together that we in this time, in this time of pandemic, in this time of chaos in our world, Lord, that you were the one who came to bring peace. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And all God's people said, Amen.